Hello and welcome to the Movement Disorder Podcast. In this series, we'll be exploring the finer side of things with some of the great minds of movement disorders. We will get to hear interesting information and history to understand how we got to be here. We'll explore the approach to diagnosis and management, the things that your books would not tell you. And most importantly, get tips and tricks that will get you a step ahead in the game. Welcome, John, to another episode of Movement is our podcast where you share the stories that the patients have taught you with us. Uh, what story would you like to share with our listeners today? Well, I think we can call this one uh, paying attention to details. Paying attention to details. That's interesting. So tell us a background of the story. Uh, where were you when this episode happened and what setting and what was going on around that time? Every so often, we have to renew our skills in CPR. And there's basic CPR, and now we call it life support. So it was my turn. I was at the VA. I figured it'd be easy at the VA because there's not a big line over there. And So VA is a Veterans Administration Hospital. Right. And the CPR will be the cardiopulmonary resuscitation or basic life support? Yes. And where and were you in your career? This was so uh, five years ago, maybe a little longer. So you're a full professor and uh, chair of the department. This was actually, it was while I was over here at UNMC. Okay. So let's say seven years, five to seven years ago. I know because I recently had come back from a trip to Africa, so I'd have to, but anyway, let's say five years ago. Okay. So there was a written test, and back then it wasn't online. So I had something to fill out, or I had completed that, so I came in for the practical, and there was a lady, maybe late 30s, overweight, uh, happened to be black, very nice, and I explained to her I just passed the written exam, and she stood up and walked over to get the dummy or the mannequin. It was just the upper half, so from the waist up, whatever, Resusiani, or I don't know what the guy's name, Resusi Andrew. So a mannequin to practice on the physical skills of chest compression and Right, and then breathing, yep. So, and then you have to make sure that you're putting enough air in, the chest has to be elevated, and there can't be air leakage and all that. So, but I was noticing standing up was slow, and walking... For her, for somebody in her 30s, Mm. okay, I'm thinking, I can't ever stop being a doctor. I go out with my wife, and we're walking down the street, and I say, this guy has a foot drop. See, notice how, you know, where he has a gluteus medius weakness. You can see the way he walks, and she tries to get me to relax and just be a regular person, but I can't help it. So I noticed this. And then I noticed that she went and picked up the mannequin and put it on the table between us, and then she was short of breath. So I passed this course, but before I did so, I just said, you're short of breath. 
And she said, yeah, I've been short of breath for a few weeks now. And she had in her hand a plastic cup like the one on your desk. And I looked, and it had ice in it. Mm. So I said, how long have you been eating ice? So again, you can see the gears turning in my head. Uh And now I'm the doctor again, and she's evaluating me, but nobody's asked her these questions. She's your trainer for the day and evaluator. Mm -hmm. So then the question is, um, how long have you been chewing ice? She says, only for the past couple weeks. So then the question is, if there's anybody out in airwave land who's listening in, what's the next question to ask? I can see where I'm going with this because she shouldn't be so short of breath. And eating ice? And eating ice. And, okay, ice is a non-dietary thing to be chewing. People do it. It's called pica, P-I-C-A, eating a non-food item. Mm. And people will chew on clay in the ground or... Mm. Chew on almost anything, pencils, anything. But chewing on the on the clay, we attribute it to an iron deficiency, an evolutionary response right. in humans to eat maybe clay which may be rich in iron. It might have in iron Africa in it, or right? Yes, Those orange mud. Sure. Uh, that you uh, see. Right. There is, and I think the fact that you're eating. There's, I think there is an evolutionary advantage that we have when we get iron deficient we start eating non-food items and ice isn't going to do anything for you right but people will put almost anything in their mouth uh, one of my uh, colleagues where I worked before said there was a woman who used to reach up and break off a little drywall <laughs> and then bring a piece of it and start chewing it. And <laughs> is the paint? Is the paint? No, no. It's there? actually it's it's uh, behind the paint. It's the oh, it's like three eighths inch or half inch. You know. Is there some metal it's, in it's, the? No, it's. Or? I think it's made out of gypsum, gypsum. or mm-hmm. something. It's a earthy substance. Anyway, some people chew on nails. Some people actually will put nails into an apple and let it rust and then eat the apple Um, Mm. which does have iron in it obviously but I don't know if that's a remedy or something that they've learned to do so then I so the next question there are many other questions that you can ask at this point so I just went right straight toward the jugular here and said have you ever had any anemias and she said, oh, yeah, when I had my, right after my first child or whatever, I had to take iron supplements. Mm. And I said, well, how did they manage that? And so it took a while, but she eventually got over that. And then she had uh, nothing major recently <clears throat> that she could think of. But she was very short of breath, and she said she wasn't feeling right, and she didn't have a lot of money. So I said, can I see your hand? 
Is it because she works for VA? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I don't think the VA is paying her a lot. If the VA doesn't pay one of their own employees to do this, so she's probably not getting benefits. And I don't know whether she had health insurance. So I looked at her hand, and as you know, the creases in your palm uh-huh. are a giveaway because if you don't have pigment there, you're probably six grams of hemoglobin or less. Wow. I don't know what the cutoff was. And I said, you are seriously anemic. Mm. And I said, you have to go see somebody. So then what's the next idea that comes into your head? I'm at a hospital, right? Yeah. So the next question at the VA hospital is, are you a veteran? No, she's never served in the military. You know, she's never had to and never did. So then what do you do? Just say, well, you ought to go get this taken care of. That's where most people will stop. They say, yeah. go see your regular doctor. Mm-hmm. Or I don't think she go does. to an emergency. You think she's that bad? She needs to go to an emergency to have blood check? Well, here it was, it was, a, it was bad enough that I said, okay, I know somebody that I met on a trip to Africa. Just a short while before this happened? Just a short while, maybe a month, uh, maybe six months to a year. Anyway, so I'm not going to name his name. He had a private practice. Mm-hmm. And was known for getting right to the point. He actually was a football player for Stanford University years and years ago behind a very famous quarterback. He was second string and hardly ever got to play. But he was an athlete at one time. You wouldn't know it, you know, as people get older. You can't tell who the athlete was. So I just called him up right then. And I said... Let's call him Jack. Jack, this is John. You remember me? And he said, oh, yeah, yeah. So I said, I got a patient for you. Can you see her today? Mm. And he said, sure, what's the story? And I explained, and he knew exactly what I was worried about. Mm. And I said, okay, give me your phone number and your address, and he handed the phone to his assistant. He went back to seeing 20 patients an hour or whatever he was doing. So then I said, here's the phone number, here's the address, you know, and I gave her the card like one of these. And then I did the test and passed it, and... That was, I don't, they might have had a child mannequin there too, but nowadays it's really way into details that are getting beyond. But anyway, now there are mannequins that will tell you you're not blowing fast enough that you can work on. And I think that's not a bad thing. Am I talking too loud? So whatever happened to that lady? I didn't hear. So weeks went by, and I asked whatever, who was that person? And people didn't. She was a 
hired gun to come in like and a temp or an advice something or like that. Yeah. yeah, so something there was some sort of a deal with I don't know contractor or a something. contracted employee. Mm -hmm. Yep. I see. So then I got a call out of the blue one night, one evening, and she said she gave me her name. I didn't remember her name. She said, "Do you remember me?" And I said, "Well." She traced your number. She called me back, mm. and I said, "Wow, this." I was wondering what happened, oh. and she said, "Thank you. I think you saved my life." Wow. And I said, "What?" She said, "He admitted me. Her hemoglobin was so low she had to get a transfusion oh. that <laughs> night." You know, so I'm thinking, well, you know how it is. If you gradually get more and more anemic, mm. you learn to adapt to it. But if you go from you know, a normal hemoglobin to where she was, you know, you wouldn't be able to handle it right away. So she was very grateful, and I said, well, they ever figure out why you lost blood, and they had done a workup and figured that out, nothing majorly. And I said, well, I do appreciate the feedback. I just kind of wondered. I, I have two questions in my mind. Okay. The first is that... Um, what drives you? <clears throat> you were there to have your own CPR evaluation done. You're preoccupied. I know how upset I get when I have to take it every year, and I just want to be done with it. I actually don't want to even do it and just get a certificate. And, uh, you know, I think I should already know all of this, having done it for so long. And so you're preoccupied. You're going there out of your schedule. You have 10 things to do later on. And I'm in a hurry. Still, right. You're still are observing all of it and following up on it and, and, and taking it up mm. and, and asking, um, being the good Samaritan that nobody wants to be even in a traffic accident anymore. And then second question is that, why do you still remember this? Why do you think it was such an important episode? And it's not even your patient, but you want to bring it up and share it with our listeners. I don't know the quick answer to that other than uh, it just seemed like a good idea at the time. I guess I like questions to solve. Mm. I like to do Sudoku puzzles. I'm like, I like to figure out, you know, analyze things and come up with an answer especially when it comes to medicine, especially when it comes to neurology, because if you're observant, you can learn what to ask. Otherwise, somebody comes in or you see something on a test. This is the patient, he's so, he, this is his age, this was his occupation. Mm -hmm. He's complaining of a sore leg. Boy, if he's in front of you, you notice things. You notice lateral eyebrow hair. If that's missing, it could be a thyroid problem. Mm. All these things that, you know, the character Sherlock Holmes, it was written and made up by a doctor. Mm. And there was a Sir Charles Bell that was a great diagnostician 
he could find little things that were different. For example, he could tell by where there wasn't a tan on a guy's forehead that he must have just gotten back from being in the British Army in India. And he knew he was an enlisted man because they wore their hats a certain way in, let's say, the right or the left corner of the forehead was not exposed to sun. Hmm. He noticed, and he said, you're just back from India, aren't you? Now this is Sir Charles Bell. Sir Charles Bell, and he hmm. was so impressed with this man's ability to take little clues and figure things out that he just invented this character, Sherlock Holmes. Who was he impressed with? A Dr. Charles Bell, who was... So Arthur was also a physician? Sir, or Arthur, a Conan Doyle. Or, yeah. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle was a medical student. I see. I can't remember if it was Edinburgh or some other English school. And so we're all that way. You know, when you see somebody, you get a video from Pakistan, you're looking for things, you, you see some things that are not right, and you start mm -hmm. looking for other things, and then you notice there is ataxia, and there is a dystonia too, or there's a little head tilt, and all of a sudden you're going down a path and you're collecting false positives, you know, true positives, true negatives that are really meaningful. Mm. That's what we do for a living, and I just find it uh, beyond that, the intellectual challenges, I think if you can give someone back their health, then you can say you're cured, go on back to your own life, and I hope you find meaning in your life. Mm but I've at least let you go struggle with the big questions. What is my, I don't know, best calling that I can follow or what should I do with my life? How do I make it worthwhile? That's your problem. Those are bigger questions. I'm just letting you have the freedom. So why bring this up? Why bring it up now? Yeah. Because I think there's an important lesson for all of us in that if someone is there in front of you or a patient is there seeing you for a headache and you don't notice the atrophy in one arm mm. and you don't notice that there's a lack of reflexes in the right arm and there's something wrong with the cervical spine and that's the cause of the headaches that are posterior and not migraine-like, if you can't put all that together by looking at things, then you're going to run up a big bill mm. thinking of all the possibilities when you could zero in and figure it out and send them for a CT scan of the or an MRI scan of the neck and solve the problem. And if something's needed, you know, you can send them to the appropriate specialist. I don't know. I just think that if we don't keep our minds open to possibilities, and realize there could be more than one thing. One I really appreciate is, I think, to give quality of care, mm -hmm. you've got to see past the obvious. You've got to say, okay, they're elderly, they don't have a sense of smell, they have Parkinson's, um, they're feeble because they're not active. 
then are they new are they getting all the nutrition they should or do they have enough protein do they have enough iron do they have bone density that's adequate uh, can I encourage them to be more active and you know like for this Parkinson's disease symposium just saw a lady that's had Parkinson's for 27 years mm -hmm. and Aaron one of our residents really interested in movement disorders is with me and I said Aaron this is one of those people that actually did what I asked her to do she has a personal trainer she has to take 15 cinnamon pills a day she's got dyskinesias she's early onset so she has dyskinesias she's probably near 60 but she looks normal 60 to 70 percent of the time functions normally uh, takes really good care of herself is thin and so that i just enjoy that when it's remarkable how fascinating the world of movement disorders is and just to look at one facet of it can mesmerize you i hope you're as thrilled as i am about today's episode your feedbacks and suggestions are highly appreciated. So write to us at unmc.mdpodcast at gmail.com and follow me on Twitter at danishbahati underscore md. That is at d-a-n-i-s-h-b-h-a-t-t-i underscore md. Hope to see you next time. Ciao, ciao.